Thank you again, Bert and Robin. Great job as always. Uh, turn your Bibles to back at chapter 3, verse 1. In the second session, we'll be looking at verse 11, which teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ will cause the sun and the moon to stand, stand still at his second advent. So this will be uh, uh, continuing our study of the Divine Warriors Psalm, which speaks of the events of the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ. So as we normally do before the second session, we're going to pray for the message as well as the offering. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great honor and privilege you've given to us to express our gratitude and our love for you and what you've done for us through your Son and the Spirit in the past, doing for us now, will do for us in the future, and all the temporal and uh, spiritual blessings that we have because of our union with your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we just pray that this uh, offering would be acceptable as we give it up to you in the power of the Spirit, based upon the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. And we pray it would be a great reflection of how we feel about you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. And we just pray, Father, thank you for giving us the privilege to do this. We know that all that we have, uh, all, everything that we have are given to us as stewards, uh, as good stewards we're supposed to be. And so you give it to these things, the finances, as, as a stewardship and that we're accountable for. So we just thank you for uh, the people also that you've raised up that have been uh, uh, givers and part of this ministry and supporting this ministry, not only with their prayers and service, but also financial support. I also pray, Father, for this uh, second session. I pray this study in Habakkuk 3.11 will be a great blessing to people and ultimately bringing glory to you and your son. I pray that by the power of the Spirit, help your people to learn, understand, and apply what they're being taught by the power of the Spirit. Help them be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction. Please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening, and also empower me by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring forth your full counsel uh, with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so that your people could receive the necessary spiritual nourishment because your word has taught us that man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You should be at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. O Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, and his rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, and pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. And he looked and made the nations tremble. And the ancient mountains crumbled. And the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. And the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens, and the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode the earth. You came, it says in, you anger, in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, you, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Selah. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us. 
as in gloating as though about to devour the wretched who are in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses churning the great rivers. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the crops, uh, the fields produce no food, and though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. The translation of Habakkuk 3.11, our uh, verse in the second session, goes as follows. Your arrows, your spear, which produces lightning, which results in a spectacular manifestation of light, they will be launched, causing the sun and the moon, whose purpose is to give light to the celestial sky, to enter into the state of standing still. So, as we've been pointing out, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 19, is a prayer. And it's also, uh, verses 3 through 15, is not only poetic, but also prophetic, referring to the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ. They're also, as I pointed out, alluding to the mighty acts of God in many of these passages, which he performed on behalf of the nation of Israel in her past. We also noted in detail that verses 3 through 15, this divine warrior song, is primarily, though alluding at times, the, the, the great acts of God on behalf of Israel in the past, like during the Exodus generation, it's referring to the events of the 70th week of Daniel, when Christ will be pouring out his seven seal trumpet of bold judgments upon this earth. As recorded in Revelation 6 through 18, it's also referring to the second advent of Christ as one as this is another one of these passages that talks about the second advent of Christ that's distinct from the rapture. The rapture delivers us from the wrath to come during the tribulation period. It's uh, the resurrection of the church. It, and uh, it say, again, it's to deliver the, uh, the church from the wrath of the tribulation period. The second advent is to deliver Israel from Antichrist, uh, the false prophet, the tribulational armies, and Satan and his fallen angels. And it's to establish the kingdom of God on earth. It's preceded by signs, but there's no signs preceding the rapture of the church. It's simply imminent. It can happen at any time, and God wants us to live our lives in light of the imminency, not only of our death, but also the imminency of the rapture when we get our resurrection body. The rapture is also a mystery, not known to Old Testament saints. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 52 teaches us that. Not known to Old Testament saints. We're a mystery dispensation. The Old Testament saints did not see us. They didn't see this body of believers, composed of Jewish and Gentile believers, who will be royal priests and royal ambassadors for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That would be fellow heirs and fellow part members of the body of Christ and fellow partakers of the messianic promise because of faith in Christ, that justification and union identification through the baptism of the Spirit. So we're in a mystery dispensation. We are the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ was not who they were. The identity of them was not known until uh, this church age began. So Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 11, contains a poetic statement. This is all poetry. It's, we can call it poetic prophecy, this whole psalm prayer. It's so it's a, a poetic statement, verse 11, which asserts that the Lord God of Israel's arrow and spear which produces lightning, which results in a spectacular manifestation of light, they will be launched, causing the sun and moon, whose purpose is to give light to the celestial sky, to enter into the state of standing still. And of course, this, like verse, uh, what we saw in the previous verses, verse 11 is employing figurative language to describe the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this statement here is not only alluding 
to a past historical event in Israel's history. It is. But it's also a prophetic for an event which will take place in the future at Jesus Christ's second advent, which will deliver again the nation of Israel from the devil and his fallen angels, Antichrist, the false prophet, and the armies of the Gentile nations who will exist during the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel. And so this past historical action that it's losing, uh, alluding to, this past historical event that's being alluded to in verse 11 in Israel's history is the Lord God of Israel causing the sun and moon to stand still in the celestial sky until Israel had defeated the Amorites. In the translation of the Net Bible, great translation, it goes as follows in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. The day the Lord delivered the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua prayed to the Lord before Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. The sun stood still and the moon stood motionless while the nation took vengeance on its enemies. The event is recorded in the scroll of the upright one. The sun stood motionless in the middle of the sky and did not set for a full day. Now, I'm, so, I'm sure some people I've run into over the years, how could this happen? If, if this, there's no way that the key could stop that. I say, hey, you got to be kidding me. Isn't he the creator who created the time, matter, space, continuum? And you know miracles set aside the laws of nature that he set up? So he can overrule anything he wants. If he wants to do that and not cause tremendous revulsions in the stellar universe or our atmosphere, he could do that. I don't see why it's a big difficulty when you see that God controls everything and he's the one who came up, you know, true science is observing the, the actions of what the Lord Jesus Christ, the laws that Jesus Christ has implemented at creation. So yes, he did this and it's going to happen again. However, we also see with Habakkuk chapter 311, it's also prophetic for the second advent of Christ when the Lord will again cause the sun and the moon to stand still until he has defeated Satan and the fallen angels, Antichrist and the false prophet and the armies of the tribulation. What's interesting here, we're going to go to these passages. <laughs> Isaiah 6, 13, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 24, 23. Joel 2, 10. Joel 3, 15. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. And Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 to 31. All predict that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light when Jesus Christ returns at his second advent. So there's going to be tremendous cataclysmic events taking place in the stellar universe during the tribulation period and the second advent of Christ. The creator is come to judge and to cleanse the creation that's been defiled by sin and Satan. He's coming to cleanse it and to establish his kingdom on earth. And my will be done on heaven, in heaven as it, as it is in heaven, it will be done on earth. And that prayer will finally be fulfilled. A prayer that we should be still praying for, by the way. So, okay, so Isaiah chapter 13, and also chapter 24, and Joel 2.10, 31 and 3.15, Zechariah 14, 6 and 7, and Matthew 24, 29 through 31, all predict that the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light when Jesus Christ returns at the second advent. But we see that with Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 11, uh, he's causing, he's saying that, uh, that the, he'll, he's going to cause the sun and the moon, whose purpose is to give light to the celestial sky, to enter in the state of standing still. So I'm taking you passages about the sun and the moon being darkened, right? Habakkuk's talking about something that is not being discussed in these other passages. Namely, he's going to cause the, the sun and the moon to stand still. We're going to be, that's it. No, nothing. Our orbit is stopped. Okay, so we see here that uh, if you look at, uh, go to Isaiah chapter thirteen. Let's take a quick, quick perusal of these passages. Look at Isaiah thirteen, and let's look at uh, verse nine. 
Isaiah 13, 9. And this passage talks about the day of the Lord, a subject we're studying right now on our Wednesday classes. It says in Isaiah 13, 9, See, the day of the Lord is coming. And the, the language there is it's imminent. A cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate, he says. And then he goes on to say, And destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, the arrogant, and will humble the pride of the ruthless. Go now to Isaiah chapter 24, verse 1. Look at Isaiah 24, 1. We'll read the whole chapter. Isaiah 24, 1. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. This is why, this is why he says that, John says in 1 John 2, 15-18, you're not to love the world or the things of the world. Jesus comes first in his will, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Their will comes first because all this stuff that we have, it's stuff, it's gone. The planet is going to be made a parking lot, okay? And everything that's in it, Okay, so don't, that was, as it, uh, was it, Swindoll said this famously, he said, don't hang too closely onto your homes and your, 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 your possessions because you're going to be taken away from them eventually or they'll be taken away from you. Plus, the other thing is, the earth is going to be destroyed as we know it. Satan's masterpiece, as we said in the previous lesson, is going to be destroyed and wiped clear off the face of the earth. No more remembrance of it. So see, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for people, for master as for servant, for mistress as for maid, for seller as for buyer, for borrower for lender, and for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. And the exalted of the earth languish. The earth is defiled by its people. They have dis disobeyed the laws violated the statues, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Their earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. The new wine dries up and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan. The gaiety of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the revelers is stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter to its drinkers. The ruined city lies desolate, and the entrance to every house is barred. In the streets they cry out for wine. All joy turns to gloom. All gaiety is banished from the earth. The city is left in ruins. Its gate is battered to pieces. So it will be on the earth and among the nations. As when an olive tree is beaten or as when gleanings are left after the grape harvest. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. From the west they acclaim the Lord's majesty. Therefore in the east give, give glory to the Lord. Exalt the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the islands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear singing, Glory to the righteous one. And this will find its fulfillment during the millennial reign of Christ. But I said, I waste away. I waste away. Woe to me. The treacherous betray. With treachery the treacherous betray. Terror and pit and snare await you, O people of the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of terror will fall into a pit. Whoever climbs out of the pit will be caught in a snare. The floodgates of the heavens are open and the foundations of the earth shake. 
The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is thoroughly shaken by all the earthquakes. The earth feels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls, never to rise again. And that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings of the earth below. They'll be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They'll be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. Now I want you to go over uh, to uh, Joel, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And if you don't know that, where that is, you can watch it on the board, look it on the board, but you do have a table of contents in your Bible, so you can use that if you need to. Joel 2, 28. Book of Joel is a fantastic book. I actually taught this book in Alabama years ago. Uh, when I had uh, left my first church plan, I started a new church in Second Church Plan in Marion, Iowa, and that's how I met uh, Vaughn and Debbie Mancha, who introduced me to you guys and put us together. The matchmaker put us together, and uh, so uh, we. Uh, I taught one time one of the houses in Birmingham. They lived in Birmingham, and it was quite, quite a turnout. I didn't know there were all these pastors in the area that came out, and uh, and it was uh, cool. So we had a, a great time, and uh, we had two nights. We did it. And I went through the book of Joel, and it was only three chapters, so, but it still, it was, it, I felt it was a little bit rushed. I could have used a few more days, but I should have just, maybe just worked on one passage, but I want to do the whole book, so. Anyways, Joel's a cool book. It says in Joel 2.28, and afterward, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there'll be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now, I want you to go to Joel 3.9. Look at Joel 3.9. Remember, we're doing a little perusal of the the, um, the Lord's actions toward the sun and the moon in the stellar universe during his second advent. Joel 3, 9, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. <clears throat> For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Remember Matthew 25 at his second advent when he comes back and he's imprisoned Satan, the fallen angels, destroyed Antichrist and the 12th part of the tribulation armies. All the Gentiles that are left, and Jews that are left that survived these events, and there'll be a few, he's going to, it's the sheeps and goats pastures for the Gentiles. The, the, those who, uh, who had faith in Jesus, uh, identify with the Jews and help them out, and they, they, they manifest their faith by doing that. They enter into the kingdom, the millennial reign, they repopulate the earth, and the Jews who rejected Jesus are removed, but the majority at that time of Jews are actually gonna be believing in Jesus Christ. They'll have the national regeneration of the nation of Israel, the national repentance. So it says in verse 12, let the nations be roused, let them advance in the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. 
Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. And then it says in verse 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision, the sun and the moon will be darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, those who trust in him at that time, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Go to Zechariah now, toward your end of the Old Testament. Look at Zechariah 14. Look at verse 1. Zechariah 14.1. Zechariah 14.1, a day of the Lord is coming. When your plunder, speaking of Jerusalem, we divide it among you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. And uh, as I said many times in the past, I think even here too, is that we know from uh, the Northwoods documents that was released uh, because the, uh, the JFK assassination files were ordered to be released. And what we found out from the Northwoods documents is the, 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 you know, the, the uh, pre preparation for general war, the next, the great world war to come, the, uh, the Joint Chiefs of Stats, where when they did the, uh, the, their planning uh, for general war, they, in the, in World War III, in other words, is that they believed that the war would start in Israel, over Israel. And it almost happened in 1967 with the Six-Day War. So I don't think that's changed. I don't think that's changed. I could be wrong, but I hope somebody runs into me. Either I'll, maybe I'll, I'll run into him down because uh, Huntsville's got all these military guys here. So maybe I'll run into another guy at the Pentagon that I ran into the other day. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured and the houses ransacked and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will be not taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, still there today, and the Mount of Olives, from where he ascended, by the way, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, great earthquake, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee, Israel, at that time, the remnant of believers at that time. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel, and you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. That would be including us. On that day, the second advent of Christ, there will be no light, no cold, no frost. And I love this. It will be a unique day for the unique, the anthropic person of history, Jesus Christ. Without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord, when evening comes, there will be light. Now one of the passage. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 1. This is one of the great discourses of, of, of Jesus. He had, uh, he had his upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, those chapters where he's talking to preparing uh, the, the, his disciples, the apostles for the church age. As I said before in the first session, it's the first time he really talked about it in detail. He just talked about it in passing in Matthew 16 when he said, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. So we see that uh, we also have his uh, Sermon on the Mount discourse. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 has that. But he also has this Olivet Discourse that's found in Matthew 24 and 25. And chapter 25, he's asked the question about uh, when the kingdom will start on earth. Because his disciples were Jewish, 
the whole prophetic expectation of the Old Testament and their prophetic expectation is that he would be the Messiah and bring in the kingdom at that time. That they did not understand the scriptures. They did not, they were not aware of it, and they should have been. Uh, and a few, only a few did at that time, that the cross must come before the crown. They believed that he, he had to go and pay for the sins of the world in order to bring the kingdom on earth. The cross must come before the crown. And so they didn't want, didn't want to see that. He would tell them that he's going to be crucified, handed over to the, to the, to the Gentiles to be crucified, betrayed by his own people. Uh, the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes would betray him and hand him over to Pilate to be crucified. He predicted that, but he also predicted he would rise from the dead on the third day. His enemies were aware of that. That's why they put a guide on that tomb and uh, that, uh, asked Pilate to do that. So here are the disciples. They're asking about the, the kingdom. That's all they're thinking about right now. And the rapture was not even talked about yet by Jesus in details. I said before, in Matthew 16, he talks about it very briefly. It wasn't until the upper room, well after he said this, that he starts talking about the church in detail, the mystery doctrine of the church age and the rapture in uh, John 13 through 17, those chapters. So here we are, he, he says in chapter 24, verse 1, Matthew writes, Jesus left the temple, Herod's temple, and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And Herod was a great builder. He built upon uh, Zerubbabel's temple, which we studied in the book of Haggai. He built upon it, expanded upon it. And it was still in the work of, uh, still 46 years they'd been, been working on it. And uh, even at the time of Jesus, they were still working on it. So he says, do you see all these things? He asked, I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down fulfilled by the Romans in 70 AD. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? He's not they're not talking about the rapture. They don't even know about it yet. It's a mystery doctrine, not known yet. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The whole prophetic expectation of the Jews in the Old Testament and these Jews, of Jesus' disciples, was that the kingdom would be on earth for a thousand years with Messiah reigning, and Israel head of the nations. So that's, you got to understand the context in which he's being asked, and what he's asked, being asked about, so, so you understand his response. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the wickedness, the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this, and by the way, he's speaking it to the Jews who will be living during this time, the 70th week. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. Remember, there'll be an angel standing in the sun preaching the gospel. The Jews during the tribulation period will be preaching the gospel. Gentiles that are saved and believe in Jesus who will be martyred for their faith, by the, killed by the Antichrist, decapitated. They'll be proclaiming the gospel. So yes, you have the wrath of the Lamb being poured out upon the earth during this time. And the wrath of Satan is on the earth. But you also have believers. The, uh, the, the, the 144,000 in Revelation 7 and 14, regenerate Jews proclaiming the gospel boldly. You'll have those two, the two great men of Revelation 11, the two prophets who will be standing in the temple and proclaiming the gospel. It'll be all over the world. 
Yes, the evil will be judgment, but there'll also be grace. Okay? And many people will be saved. In fact, the majority of Jews at that time will trust in the Messiah in contrast to the first advent. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So, now he's following Daniel 9.27 here, the outline. He's following the whole thing. Look at he says in verse 15. So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. He's quoting Daniel 9.27. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now listen to me. Daniel 9.27 in the Hebrew, your NIV doesn't have abominations in the plural like it is in the Hebrew. And most modern translations have abomination. Abominations, plural. There's two abominations of the Antichrist that are committed. We see one, Jesus is talking about, where it's standing. That's the image of the Antichrist, talked about in Revelation 13, that the false prophet will build and then bring to life and cause the world to worship it. Okay? The other one, Paul mentions, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, sitting, one standing and one sitting. A lot of exposers and prophets, guys in a prophecy are not talking about this, or maybe they don't see it. But there's one sitting, that's Antichrist, sitting in, in the reboot, rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, between the cherubim, mimicking God talking to Moses in the Ark of the Covenant. That's the other one. Jesus is talking about the one that false prophets building, Revelation 13, of, of going into uh, the image of the Antichrist and, and demanding the world worship. And, and many, will be, many will, as we'll see in our Day of the Lord series, many will worship him. You know why? One of the reasons, major reason why is, why? He will, he will be assassinated, but be resurrected again. It's a counterfeit resurrection. Remember, there's a counterfeit trinity in Revelation chapter 13. The Father, he's being mimicked by Satan. The Antichrist is mimicking Jesus Christ. And the false prophet who promotes the worship of the Antichrist is mimicking the Holy Spirit who promotes the, the, uh, the worship of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be a counterfeit resurrection as well. So can you imagine this? As we'll see in this Day Lord series, he's going to be the most charismatic. You think JFK or Ronald Reagan or Abraham Lincoln was a great speaker? Even Hitler was, had tremendous charisma when he spoke, right? They had nothing compared to this guy. He will be the most charismatic figure ever on the face of the earth, and he'll even he, if if uh, he could even dis, he could even fool believers. That's how charismatic he is. He's going to be able to resolve the Arab-Israeli conflict. He's going to be able to get this world together finally and uh, make it work. The United Nations work. He's going to get that all set. He's going to have the other Jews and the Gentiles get being counterfeit uh, 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 millennial reign. He's going to fool. He's going to come back to life though. He's going to survive. And just imagine, if John F. Kennedy in 1963 rose from the dead on the third day, what do you think we'd do? They would worship him. He's Jesus, right? He's God, right? Well, that's what they're going to do, the Antichrist. However, you know how you can tell he's a fraud? What is he teaching? See, false teachers, people who are saying stuff in the Bible, say it's the Bible, God's saying this, go check out what they say. You know, people could do a miracle right in here, and they, I don't care, you could make somebody who's, who has, has never walked in before, even if they got that person to get up and walk, I would want to know what you're, what you're teaching. Because the devil can pull miracles off too. He has that power. And he'll have a, certainly be able to allow, manifest that power during the tribulation to fool even the elect, it says. 
Then it says, let no one, when this takes place, let no one on the roof in the, of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to take his, get his cloak. How dreadful it will be day for the, in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. The church doesn't obey the Sabbath. This is Israel, back in the land. During the 70th, uh, the 70th week of Daniel, for they'll, then there'll be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never be equaled again. And by the way, you are delivered from this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. We're delivered from... God did not destined us for experiencing the wrath of the Lamb during the tribulation period in the second advent, but to obtaining salvation. And that salvation is future. What is he talking about? The perfection of our salvation in a resurrection body will be delivered permanently. That's what salvation means. Permanently from sin and Satan in this cosmic system when we're in a resurrection body. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect. If that were possible, you'd know a fake, a fraud by the teaching he has. There's so many stupid Christians and they're stupid and ignorant because they don't know their Bible and they don't want to be taught because they're arrogant. And you got pastors who are frauds pretending to be servants of God. They're not teaching the full counsel of God. They're not being a good stewards with the truth that God gave. They might have the gift, but they're not doing it. They're not teaching the word of God. They're not teaching these books. They're not teaching the doctrines of the Christian faith. Shame on them and they're going to be paying for it. And their teaching gives them away. And by the way, also, their conduct. Because ungodly conduct is the result of bad doctrine, not applying the doctrine or false doctrine. So this is how you know these false teachers. Bad, evil behavior, conduct, and false, false teaching. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For his lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man expression is from Daniel 7, 13 and 14. He used it more to describe himself than any other description because that's the Daniel passage that the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, will come up to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and receive the kingdom. And Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees and the scribes, knew what he was saying. And they hated him for it. Then it says, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, at that time, it says, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. So, as we close this second session, 
We see that Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, 24, 23, Joel 2, 10, 31, 3, 15, Zechariah 14, verses 6 and 7, and Matthew 24, 29 through 31, all describe the tribulation portion of the 70th week of Daniel, immediately preceding the second advent of Christ because it corresponds to the description that our Lord gives of the tribulation period prior to his second advent. So therefore, if you tie it all back to Habakkuk 3.11, that verse is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will cause the earth, sun, and moon to stand still in the celestial sky at a second advent, despite the fact that those other passages that we looked at do not speak of him doing so. However, Habakkuk 3.11, since Habakkuk 3.11 speaks of the sun and the moon being affected by the actions of the Lord, and these other passages do so as well, it's reasonable to infer that Habakkuk 3.11 is prophetic of the Lord's actions at his second advent. So thus, as we close, Habakkuk 3.11 is giving more information about the actions of the Lord at his second advent, which these other passages I, I, I took you to do not provide. Namely, that the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, who we're in union with, our, our, our husband, our bridegroom, he will cause the sun and the moon to stand still in the celestial sky when he returns to planet Earth at his second advent. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for bringing us into these great passages of the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the things that we're learning about the 70th week of Daniel, the second advent of Christ, and your millennial reign. We just thank you for the fact that you've saved us from your wrath, not only the wrath of the lake of fire, eternal condemnation, but the wrath of the tribulation period. Your servant said in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, your servant Paul's that we're delivered from the wrath to come. And instead, we're destined to obtain the perfection of our salvation with a resurrection body. So help us live our lives in light of the imminency of these events that are about to strike the earth because as your word taught us, the rapture is imminent. And once that happens, as your word said in 2 Thessalonians 2, through your servant Paul, then Antichrist can manifest and the 70th week can begin. But uh, everything's hinging on when you take us out. So help us live our lives in light of the imminency of not only the rapture, but our death, because we don't know the day of our death or the hour of our death either. So help us make these, this time on earth count. Help us to be good stewards with the time that you've given to us, Father, so that we can bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to sing you a song. We'll get out of here. Now, this song is uh, kind of a weird, uh, it's, it's, it's called Vote for Jesus. I've sang it once before here. But um, I think you'll, uh, it's not, obviously we can't vote for Jesus, but basically what it's saying is that we must put our faith in him and not on these political rules. Don't make me laugh, will you? <laughs> You're not helping me. I have to sing this song, you know. Switch down the TV today. Bill
just the same old thing. There was war and crime, and sex and drugs, and greed like I've never seen. The more I watched, the more I got mad as the talking heads kept battling on. But then a man came on and spoke so nice. He said he's gonna make this world a better place. He's gonna give us peace, give us our money, be our friend, and give us all some. Jesus, I vote for Jesus. 